so good to, uh, and um, I know the students are happy about it. Parents, I'm not sure if we're happy about it, but uh, we have a, a day off, and I'm um, glad you're here at church today. And um, today we, um, the, is, do you remember a time when you were accepted to something, right? You accepted a call to something. Uh, you applied somewhere and you got the job. I, I think the first ones we all remember, making the team, uh, getting the job, getting the acceptance. And so I think those things are so important because uh, it reminds us of the first time we get called to something. One of my favorite movies um, is the old movie. Now it's been, I think, 25 years plus is old movie, Rudy, right? And it's supposed to be loosely based on a true story. Uh, but there's a scene. Rudy's uh, this undersized guy whose dream is to make the Notre Dame football team. And to prove everyone wrong, which his father didn't believe in him and his girlfriend didn't believe in him, he goes and he struggles even through his learning disabilities and so on to make it and get into Notre Dame and he tries out. And in the first scene of that, of his first day of practice, and I rewatched it again this week, uh, just some of the highlights of it on YouTube and so on, but you know, you can see how undersized he is. He looks like he's maybe five, six, uh, 150 pounds, running him over. And he is getting pummeled, but he keeps getting back up, getting back up, to the point of the frustration of the coaches. They're frustrated at him. They want him to quit, right? And there's this one scene where after the tryouts, just to make the practice squad, he's in the locker room and he chases one of the assistant coaches, a grumpy old coach, right? Kind of your stereotypical coach. And he follows him and says, you know, what does, what, did I make the team? Did I make the team? Did I make the team? And the coach says, you know, if you just mess up once, if you show up just once, you just mess up once, that's it, you're out of here. He goes, but that means I made a team, right? And so he is so excited, he hugs, jumps on the coach and the grumpy old, get off of me, get off of me, Rudy, and kicks him off. And he's so excited, and he's screaming down the hallway, right? And it just starts with that story, the excitement of that. And I, we might have all experienced that, right? Getting our first job, getting a promotion, proposing, and she, you know, uh, Fian, you know, girlfriend becoming our fiance. But really the very first call that I think um, would be the most exciting is the call that Jesus offers to us. The time we come to faith. We forget that at times as the years go on, but really that is the call. And that's the scene that's happening here. Uh, you see here in John chapter 1, and we read a chunk of it. But what we see is the call of these young men of the age of Rudy, or even younger, and they're called to follow Jesus. And from this moment on, their lives are changed forever. And today we're going to look at this. You know, he's got, Jesus arrived on the scene, the Logos is here, and then now he starts calling those who will follow him. And the way he called them is really in the same thing that he did for us. And so we'll look at two parts of why he called us, why did he call us, and then um, um, the, the first part of that is how did he call us, right? How and the why we're going to be looking at today. Um, and I think it'll be somewhat very, that will help us tremendously uh, into remembering why am I doing what I'm doing, all right? Uh, five disciples are called. There's a little background here. These five are mentioned here. Obviously, there were 12, but in John's gospel, the story of five are, lim are, are listed here. And it starts all the way back in uh, verse 35, uh, 37 and on. 
And I just want to run through this, these five, at least, that are mentioned here with us. And uh, you could journal along as you uh, hear these. The first one is John the Beloved. John, the author of this book. When he talks about himself, he doesn't name himself. He stays anonymous. And in verse 37, Jesus called, the two disciples heard him say, and they followed Jesus. Two disciples here. Verse 38 Right, And they follow him, what are you seeking? And they, they follow after the rabbi. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John uh, speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So one of them is Andrew, and this is a little confusing because it's John the Baptist. Right? They were following John the Baptist. John the Baptist points out to Jesus, these two start following Jesus. One of them is Andrew, the other one's not named. The other one who's not named is John the Beloved. Uh, John, who wrote this book, and he doesn't name himself, but he is there as a witness. He is there when this is happening, and Andrew's life is changed, and Peter's life is changed, and he's seeing this. He's there, right? And he recollects some of these things, and he writes that down. The second person who is, that I want to list is Andrew. It tells us that in verse 40, he is Simon Peter's brother. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So this is the second of the disciples that's mentioned here. Um, Simon is the one whose name is changed later to Peter. He's the one who is the, uh, the head, the leader of the disciples. He's the one that on his statement of faith that the church is now started. So he's kind of the founder of the church but it's interesting that it was his brother who was called first. It was his brother who was used by God first, and it is Andrew. Thirdly, we see Peter is called. I uh, see verse 41. This is speaking of Andrew. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And it's interesting, when you read the Gospel of John, you see these parentheses in the ESV. John kept explaining to, right, this, the gospel of John was written to all people, so it wasn't a Jewish uh, document written for the Jews. Matthew, so Matthew quotes the Old Testament frequently, but John here, he puts this down, in case you don't know, uh, here's an explanation of this, Messiah, what does that mean? Uh, which means Christ. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Now, we see here it's kind of almost confusing because Simon is called Peter and then he's called Cephas. You say, why does this guy have three names? Right? And I don't know if you've known someone over the years who have changed their names as they've grown up, you know, and I've um, known someone like that, right? I've known many people like that. So like their Facebook, they have a different name. But when they see you, they say, oh, this is this name. And after a while, I, like, I, I don't know what to call you, right? Other than, hey, right? So um, he's got these names. Simon is his given name, right? And he's, Jesus names him now Cephas, which is in Aramaic, which was the common spoken language. It's kind of like a, a similar to Hebrew, but different, and that was the spoken language of the day. And then that the Greek version of it is Petros or Peter or the rock. And so this is written in Greek. And so it's kind of explained, right? Because the, the meaning of his name is so important. Right? Uh, next we have Philip. This is three out of five, right? Uh, four out of five, rather. Uh, the fourth person. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip is from the same town. 
Philip maybe grew up with them, maybe knew them, uh, maybe knew their families. Uh, the towns aren't big and people know each other. And so he sees something is happening. He hears about his friends, Andrew and Peter, and he now joins in. And then after that, Philip now goes and calls Nathaniel. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's interesting because you'll read it over and over, but uh, different people from different regions always would look down on those in the other parts, right? And they're from that area, right? And so on. And they would look down on them. And so this is what he said. Anything could come out of Nazareth? Nazareth. And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nazareth coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So, he gives a little hint of his divinity. He says, I, I actually saw you when you were under that fig tree. I saw you before you were called. I saw you there. And he is already shocked. You saw me? You saw where I was? I was sitting under that tree, under the shade. You saw me? Um, and he calls these five in chapter 1. Now, the big question is, how does he call them? How does he call us? Now, all of us are here because we're trying to follow Jesus, but there's a point where it started. Some of you remember the date, the age, when you came to faith. Some of you might not remember, but it was a gradual process, but Jesus called. So how did this happen? And then why? And that's the second point. Why, why did he call us? Why did he call the disciples? Why is he calling us? Um, the how part, and this is so important, is that it was Jesus' initiative. Jesus calls us. Jesus sought after us. We didn't seek after him. Jesus sought after us. Uh, it's interesting. You look at the call of Philip in verse 43. The next day, Jesus, you see the initiative here. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow him. So all of this is his initiative. Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He finds Philip, and then he calls Philip to follow him. And so in all of this, there's a, uh, Jesus is being very intentional. He goes to the city. He finds someone he's looking for, and then he invites him. And this is the picture we have, that we cannot follow God simply because we are good one day. It's God allows us. Os Guinness says it so well in one of my favorite books, The Call. And I just want to read this quote from Os Guinness. He says, We cannot find God without God. We cannot reach God without God. We cannot satisfy God without God, which is another way of saying that our seeking will always fall short unless God's grace initiates the search and unless God's call draws us to him and completes the search. We cannot reach God without God. We cannot find God without God. So what we have is not a group of people that are, but it's the other way. They cannot seek after God. God seeks after them. He calls us here. Um. R.C. Sproul talks about this, many theologians talk about this, but really the internal and the external call. And the external call is you'll, the gospel message is preached and it's to everyone. But there's an effectual call or an effective call where we hear it and we respond. And some people respond. 
They're called to respond, right? They, they're called to respond. And so there is this idea that he calls, he allows us to now understand and follow him. And so he initiates all this. And so this humbles us even more in our effort to follow him. So why does he call us? Why does he call the disciples? And he calls us for two reasons. And I just want to highlight these two. He calls to transform and to use, right? He calls, to tra- he calls all of us to be Christians, to transform us and to use us. Um, to transform us. To change us. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, and you see often people's names are changed. The names meant who they are. The names uh, had meaning, so it defined who they are. And you see in the book of Genesis and Daniel and so on, the names are changed continually. And the, the, the most famous example of that is Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah. And that he's going to be the father of nations. The name is changed. And what we see here is a transformation happening even on the basis of name. Simon, and we we talked about this, his name is called now Peter. Nathaniel uh, is mentioned in the Gospel of John. But it's interesting, the name Nathaniel doesn't come up in the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels, there's a person named Bartholomew. And scholars have put kind of two and two together, right? After Philip always came Nathaniel in, in, in the list, or after Philip comes Bartholomew. Bartholomew was the given name of Nathaniel. Bartholomew, it meant son of, uh, you know, the last part, Tomai, Bartholomew. Bar meant son, right? And so by their names, who their father was, where they're from. His name is changed to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, meaning the gift of God, one who has received a gift from God. And so his name is changed. And so we buy the change of their name, and even in their confession. It's interesting, in verse, there is this, and I mentioned this earlier, but there's this formula of how people identify others. Who's your dad? You're the son of so-and-so, and what city you're from, right? And that's how five, Jesus, the disciples, the future disciples, Identify him simply in human terms. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Just like any other human being. Uh, Just as Simon was called, right? The son of John. Jesus, oh, son of Joseph. And they view him as a human being. And literally in a few verses as Nathaniel understands this is not just a normal human being. He sees Jesus differently. In verse 49, he says, Rabbi, you are Who's his dad? He says, you are the son of God. Where is he from? You are the the king of Israel. So not only are you son of Joseph, of Jesus of Nazareth, but he is now the son of God of Israel, but not just born there. He's the king of Israel. And so you see this whole inner transformation that's happening over and over and over. And our challenge to us is to continue to grow. Got these journals. Oh, read the journals, right? We want us to grow. Sometimes we finish growing after we graduate from college or grad school, and we say, I haven't opened a book in years, but we continue to grow. In my garage, um, on the entrance to my house, uh, into the house from the garage, 
over the years, my kids have marked their growth chart, right? And so there's lines and scribbling all over. There's tagging on my wall, right? And it's done by my kids. And they, they write the date, when they grew, how much they grew. And um, there's, it's kind of funny, but on 17th birthday, Chris says, like, I grew this much. I'm a little bit. And then she has a you know, sad face. I stopped growing, right? And then her younger sister's like, when am I going to you know, reach that and whatnot? And every day we look at that. So physically, all of us might have stopped growing. Maybe we hit 18 or 19, and we've kind of plateaued, right? But on the inside, spiritually, we are still growing. You know, I look back, as our church has turned 12 uh, this past fall, and I look back, and uh, one of the nice things about Facebook is these memories that keep popping up, and I see old pictures. The first day we started our Irvine service back at UCI, and I see pictures of a lot of us who were there, a little bit fuller, you know, a little bit less wrinkles or whatnot. We've, we've changed on the outside. But one of the things that I am grateful for is how much we have changed on the inside as the years have gone, as God has been with us. We are growing, and theologians call the sanctification. He saved us to change us, not to leave us the same. The second part is he's called us to use us. He calls the disciples to use them. He calls us to use us. Now some of us have a a museum mentality. We think, gosh, God saved me to save me, right? He called me to save me, to put me in a glass case so no one could touch. No one could hurt me. No one could get me dirty. I'm just in the museum. And the church is not a museum. There are a lot of people today and you might know some that say, I, I, I'm not going to go to church. It's kind of messy. It, it, there's people there that might offend me, hurt my feelings. I have my insecurities. You know, I was at this one church and someone made fun of the way I looked or commented on the size of my house or, you know, boy, they're just bragging so much about their kids. I, I, I'm done. I can't go to church anymore. And their thought is, put me in a museum case so no one could touch me. Maybe they could just be saved till then. But we're called to be his instruments. So we're not supposed to be in the glass case. We're supposed to get dirty. We're supposed to go out there. We're supposed to go and interact. We're supposed to go and love those who are difficult. We're supposed to go and now forgive those who have hurt us. We have to get dirty. But sometimes we put up our walls and say, I don't want to. It's interesting. Already as they're called, the ones who are called are being used by Christ. Andrew goes and he calls now his brother. Um, Philip, as he finds Christ, he is used and he now goes and finds Nathaniel. And so he is used in this way. You know, one of the, uh, I was thinking back on this, you know, when I first uh, proposed to Sharon and we were engaged, and this was like 22 years ago or whatnot, I remember as a fiancé, the first gift she bought me. She bought me a Christmas gift and a birthday gift. And I knew she was a keeper. It was a confirmation from the Lord from the gifts that she bought me. For Christmas, she bought me a set of these commentaries. Like everyone that goes to seminary wanted these commentaries. The new international, these commentaries. And it was hundreds of dollars. And I lugged that around still today. And it was like, wow. She bought me this. And this was something I would go to seminary and brag to my friends, look at my library. I've got these books. 
And uh, they're like, wow, she's a keeper. Yeah, she's a keeper. She bought me this. My birthday as a fiancé, the first thing, the thing she bought me, I confess, it was even better than this, in the commentaries. It was my first set of golf clubs. She bought me a set of golf clubs, right? And I said, really, thank you, Lord. Like, this is really, she's really a keeper, right? Um, prior to that, I was learning. I had a set of these hand-me-downs. They were all scratched up and ugly. Didn't care, right? I didn't care anything about them. But she bought me a brand new set of these kind of orange tailor-made golf clubs. It was so pretty and shiny. And I remember I would just wash them all the time. <laughs> and I had it in my room. I, was, I didn't even want to put it in my bag. And I had it just in my room. And I'd get out of bed, look at my commentaries. To be honest, probably for about a month and a half, I didn't even take it out to play. Because it was going to get scratched. It was going to get dirty. I just kept it in my room. I just looked at it. Wow, it's so shiny. I would show my friends, look. You know, but don't swing it here. You know, I just want to keep it clean. I just want to keep it in my room. But what is the purpose of a golf club? It has to hit the dirt. It has to hit the ball. It has to get dirty. That's the point of it. And some of us, we treat our call, we treat our lives like it is a gift. I, I don't want to get it dirty. I'm so fragile, I don't want it to get dirty. I don't know enough, I don't want to do this. But we're called. God's gifted us in so many ways to go and serve in this way. There's a brother at our church. Uh, he attends our, our Brea site. And I got to meet him a few years back when he first started coming. And I started talking to him. I said, hey, so where are you from? What are you doing? And I found out he was a musician. He said he just moved here from Nashville. And the first I was like, what are you doing in Nashville, right? He said, I'm a, I played some music. He was very humble about it. And I kept what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Right? And um, he goes, and I found out he played professionally. Then he started telling me who he played for, all these people, which I didn't know. I just went along. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Oh, that's impressive. Wow. Oh, you did? You played backup for, wow. Um, and, uh, and I said, what? You've got to use that. And uh, now he plays. And he plays almost every week. God's given us something. And God has called you. And maybe there's been some pain in the past. Maybe there's just been some disappointment in the past. Boy, you went out and you tried this and this was not good. Or maybe you felt like, oh, I'm just not good enough for this. That's okay. He knew everything about you. He knew everything about us before he had called us. He can still go and serve. You can still go lead this group. You can go still teach Sunday school. Yeah, I know, I know, I know these things, your weaknesses. That's fine. I'm going to use it. Just go. And he calls us. And really, he sums up, and this is ultimately to save us, right? So we see Jesus Christ is called the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Alpha and the Omega of our faith. He calls us in the beginning. He calls the disciples. And over here, in this reading, he guarantees the finish. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to take care of you. You will finish this race. The disciples that are called knows that he is faithful, that Jesus is faithful. And he calls us ultimately to demonstrate the gospel to us. You know, um, you look at verse 50. So Jesus answers Nathaniel, right? So Nathaniel was like, wow, you knew, I, you know, um, that uh, 
I was under the fig tree, right? Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then Jesus said to him, and this is uh, a very important part when in the gospel when Jesus is speaking, truly, truly, the King James, verily, verily, truly, truly, this is emphatic. This is something you should underline. This is something you should highlight. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now you read that at first, you say, what does that mean? Heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is that? What is he talking about? Well, this reminds us of the, the vision, the dream that Jacob had. Jacob in Genesis 28 has a dream where now ladder is now connecting heaven to earth. And on that ladder, the angels of God are ascending and descending. And he calls that land where he meets God, Bethel, the house of God. He says, this is where God dwelt. This is where I met God. And it was this ladder. And you read now this Genesis 50, uh, 1 verse 51. The angels of God ascending and descending on not a ladder. Not a staircase, but on the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is that ladder. Jesus Christ is the one that allows us to reach heaven. Jesus Christ is the one that allows now the angels of God to descend onto us. He is the way. And he closes the call with this reminder that it is going to be okay. I will be there till the end. I am the answer to what you need. Don't climb your own ladder. Don't build your own building to reach the heavens as those in Babel tried. They will always fall short. But God gives us this ladder. And on this ladder, we now have a connection. Through the ladder of Jesus Christ, we now become the house of God. This Portola High School multi-purpose room has become the house of God. Not because we had put a sign or erected a cross but because the ladder was given by Jesus Christ to us, we become now where God dwells. Our own bodies become the house of God because of the ladder that is given to us. Immediately in chapter 2, he does his first sign, and we see that next week. Water into wine. He calls him and he jumps right in. And this is what John wants us to see. Friends, um, we, we gather on this day and we might have some good memories of our call. Camp or boy, in my early 20s, you know, God called me to this and God called me to that. But we might forget as well why he did. And the why he calls us is simply to use you. Don't hold back when it comes to serving God. He calls to transform you. Don't stay the same. Dig into the word. Pray as if it is in your hands and ask him, God, help me to change. God, the Holy Spirit, changes us. And thirdly, he saved us. Cling to the cross. Cling to that before you cling to any other identity. Where you went to school, where you're working, where you live... Cling to that one ladder that will reach God. And on Jesus Christ, the angels will ascend and descend. He will come to us. What a joy that is. That the beginning 
and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, is pronounced in chapter 1 here. So we cling to him today, and we thank him for calling us. Let's pray together.